You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. I have been waiting to give this sermon since last May. Like, this is one of my favorite sermons I've ever written. And I've been praying about giving it. And there's been like three different times I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this sermon at Chi Alpha. And then something comes up and God's like, Hey, it's not the right time or whatever. So I am so pumped, so pumped to give this sermon. So God is doing something awesome here today. Do you guys agree? Wow. You guys are so enthusiastic. God is doing something here today. Do you guys agree? That's still weak. Do you guys agree? There's like two of you that agree. It's good. So you too, I'm preaching right at you. Everybody else can just ignore me and go home because you're not ready. Look to your neighbor. Now look back at me. Now look back to your neighbor and say, God is doing something here today. I don't care that it was awkward. <clears throat> but I'm going to assume for just a moment that you actually meant what you just said. So remember that before there were peaks on the mountains, the ground first had to shake. And so in order to get to the mountaintops, we've got to, to take a look at the foundation first. So today we're going to be in Philippians 4. So you guys can go ahead and start turning into Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Um, while reading through Philippians, you have to take note and remember that Paul is writing uh, a letter to the Philippians telling them basically to remember, to rejoice, and have joy. Now, he's writing this at the same time as he is in jail. So he's writing a letter from jail telling the Philippians to rejoice and have joy. But not only is he writing it from jail, it is also believed that he wrote this from his second stint in jail, which his first stint in jail was kind of like a house arrest. His second stint in jail was like true, legit, hard time punishment jail. And yet he's still writing to rejoice, to remember to rejoice and have joy. And so if that doesn't even just right there start to get you a little uncomfortable, I don't know what will. Because if we can recognize that Paul wrote Philippians when he was in jail, I think we can take to heart the words a little bit better than we could thinking that he was on like a, an island with a beach and the sun shining in his face. Starting in verse 4, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You will let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. I'm going to read that again. With, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So basically what he's saying here is, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't let yourself be anxious. And so when we dig a little bit deeper into those words, and we recognize he's saying, don't be anxious, usually when somebody's saying, hey, don't be anxious, it means something's occurring in their life that should make them feel anxious. And yet Paul's saying, feel the opposite. Don't allow yourself to be anxious. Take a step back. 
Let's pick back up in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So whenever we're presented with an event that should make us feel anxious or a potential event that makes us feel anxious because let's be honest, I spend way more time dwelling about things and being anxious about things that never actually come to pass than I do spend time being anxious about real life events. Like I'm so worried that something's going to go wrong and it never comes to pass. Like all that time I spent being anxious about it is completely wasted. Like if I'm worried about a test coming up, but I've done the time, I've taken the, the, the steps, I've studied, and I've actually put in the work, and I'm still anxious, and I go and I take my test and I get an A, all of that time I spent worrying and being anxious was literally time just wasted out of my life. So whenever life presents you with an opportunity to be anxious, whenever life begins to shake you up, by prayer, present your request to God. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then focus on what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, so on and so on. So what he's really saying is, whenever we're shaken, whenever we're rattled, whenever life kind of comes and beats us up a little bit, whenever we have opportunities to worry, we're supposed to pray about it. And then leave it be. So often we take the time to pray about it, but then we continue to worry about it and stress about it. So we'll take five minutes and we'll pray to God, hey God, can you help me with this? Help me study, help me do this, help me do this. And then we continue to worry about it as if worrying about it is more important than praying about it. We spend two hours worrying about something we spent five minutes praying about. If we flip those a little bit, maybe we'd have a little bit more peace. Continue verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. You had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whenever, whatever the circumstances. I'm going to read that again. I have learned to be content. It's an action. We had to learn first how to be content, meaning we are taught how to be content. It's not just something we magically are just, oh, I'm content in life. Like we need to take the time to actually be diligent and learn how to be content in our life. Otherwise, we will never be content. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. I'm going to read that again. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. There that word is again, learned. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I want to focus on a couple words that just point out to me while I'm reading this last part. It says, whether well-fed or hungry. Man, we live in America. How many times have we honestly been hungry? Like, I haven't eaten in a week hungry. And he's saying, even when we don't even have food, 
Even when we're in want, even when we're in desire, even when there's things that we need, the basic principles of life, and we're going without, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. I love this verse so much. This last sentence is absolutely crucial to us as Christians. But I also feel like it is the most abused and the most wrongly used single sentence in all of Scripture. Because more often than not, it is used as a way to say that I can get whatever I want in life. I can be a Super Bowl quarterback. I can, I can uh, be rich. I can be famous. I can be powerful. I can get all A's. I can do this. I can do that because of Christ who gives me strength. But in reality, this sentence is so far from that uh, desire. I think about the time in which Tim Tebow had it written on his... On his uh, paint strips or whatever. And I'm not saying Tim Tebow had it wrong because I'm sure Tim Tebow understood what this verse meant. But when people see Tim Tebow with it on there, right before he goes out before a big game, people assume immediately that what Tim Tebow is saying is, I can win this game because of Jesus Christ. And that's not what this is about. Because this verse isn't saying that you can be the greatest, the richest, the most powerful, the smartest through Jesus Christ. What it is saying is that you can be strong when life makes you weak. It's saying that when life gives you opportunities to be anxious, when life gives you opportunities to be weak, to be fearful, instead, we have strength in Jesus Christ. Because God's grace... Simply put, is enough. But the issue with God's grace is oftentimes God's grace doesn't look how we want it to look. See, we want it to look in ways like God will make us rich. God will make us powerful. God will win us our football game. God will give me A's when I ask him to. That's how we want grace to look. But in reality, grace looked like Jesus Christ on a cross dying. Blood poured out for us. Sometimes that grace simply is something we can hold on to. Even if the only thing that we can hold on to is the fact that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross and rose again for us so that we could inherit the kingdom of heaven, that grace alone is still enough. Even if everything else in life is going wrong and we don't even have enough food to get through the week and we're going days hungry, that grace is still enough. That's what this sentence is about. For example, some of you guys know my mom passed away about a year ago. And I prayed for my mom's healing every single day for six years. Every single day, multiple times a day. I'm pretty confident there wasn't a single day that went by for six years that I didn't pray for my mom's healing. Now, she wasn't healed in this life. God's grace poured out on her didn't look like the way I would have wanted it to look. But because of what Jesus Christ did for her, and because that she had given her life to Christ, she now, instead of being healed on this earth, is actually in glory with heaven, in glory in heaven. Just because it didn't look the way I wanted it to look doesn't mean that God didn't have a better plan. But through all of that, through all of that prayer, through all of that petitioning to God, through all of that disagreement with God, I've learned, there's that word again, I've learned 
to be content no matter the circumstance. I have learned to be content. I've taken what life was giving me and I took a step back and I allowed myself to be changed into a reality that God wanted it to be. I took the moment and I learned from my circumstances. But I think that right there is my biggest issue because too often I want to be running from mountaintop to mountaintop, but I have absolutely no desire to go through the valley in order to get to the next peak. I'm always wanting life to be awesome, but I'm never willing to go through the hardships in order to learn some of life's lessons. The way I picture it is, if you guys will, a farmer driving around, just flying up and down the roads out in the country, just driving as fast as he can, but he's just crisscrossing all over the place. You stop and you watch him for a little bit, and he just keeps driving by, drives back by three or four different times, and finally you stop him on one of the roads. You're like, hey, dude, what are you doing? Calm down. And he says, oh, I'm just looking for my crops to harvest. And you're like, okay, you don't know where you planted your crops? He's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't plant any crops. Oh, you don't know where your land is? Oh, no, I have never bought any land. I'm just looking for the payoff. Like, I mean, that's really what it looks like when we are just constantly seeking to always be on the peaks and we're never content in being in the valley. What we're really saying is I'm looking for the payoff, but I don't want to put in the time or the effort or the investment in order to get the crop. How many times have we really done that spiritually? We just want the spiritual rewards. We don't want to play by the rules. We don't want to fight the fight. We don't want to put in the work. We just want to be there for the rewards. I know that this is a struggle I struggle with often. It's almost like in those moments I'm trying to recreate God. I'm trying to make God into something I want him to be. I'm, I'm basically making him into a genie that will grant my every wish. And that's not who God is. I'm saying, God, I want you to give me superhero powers. I want you to grow this ministry to 300 overnight. Every time I ask you, God, I want you to do it for me. That's really what it equates to. I try to recreate God into something that doesn't ask me to be uncomfortable. I ask God to be something, be someone who is content at allowing me to grow at my own pace, at the pace that I determine. And I'm never okay with it when he pushes me out of my comfort zones. Because basically what I'm saying is I want it to be okay that I don't actually take the time to read my Bible and to spend time with him, but instead I want him to download everything that I should know instantly to my brain. I want him to fix all of my faults, but I don't want to put in any work. I want to know the scriptures, but I don't want to read the Bible. I want to know how to witness to people, but I don't want to spend time with God. Voltaire once said, God created man in his own image, and ever since, we've been trying to return the favor.
Because I hear so often people saying, well, I just think like, I, I just think God wants me to be happy. I think God just wants me to happy, be happy. But really, when we take a step back and we look at it, God's standard isn't accomplished by some temporary worldly sense of fulfillment. Because Jesus wasn't a middle-class American. Like when we look at Jesus, he was a man who came into this life and went out of this life and out of this world with practically nothing. And yet he still said, don't worry about tomorrow, I'll provide. Jesus also said to stop storing up your treasures on earth where moths and rust will destroy it, but instead store up your treasures in heaven. And this isn't just talking about monetary treasures. This is talking about everything. Because ultimately, what it really comes down to, if we're not taking the time to read the Bible, and we're not taking the time to spend time with God, and we're not taking the time to learn who Jesus is, and we're not listening to Jesus when he's trying to tell us who he is, we're ultimately creating God to be whoever we want him to be. And we're not allowing him to be who he really is in our lives. Because over the years, one thing that I can tell you as a matter of fact, especially over the last four years as I've been a pastor and I've been in charge of a ministry, that there are a lot of things that I have learned over the years that I've been wrong about on God. Let me word that a different, a little differently. I've learned that I have been wrong about God on a lot of things over the years. And I've had to take what I've learned and allow God to be who he is and adjust my perception of who he is to who he really is and not who I want him to be. I've also learned that there's a lot of things about God that I don't necessarily like. I know that sounds harsh. You're taking a step back and going, what, what are you talking about? You're a pastor. Over the years, there's been a lot of things about God that I didn't like. For example, I asked God to heal my mom. I didn't like that he didn't heal her immediately. But now that I'm in the end of it, now that I'm out of that season of my life, I can look back and I can say, yes, my mom is in so much better of a place. And I allow myself to learn from my circumstances, but I, I allow myself to learn from God and allow God to tell me who he is. Because it's so often that I just want God to answer my prayers like a good little errand boy. And that's not who God is. And whenever he doesn't do what I want him to do, I decide that I'm mad at him or I, I pout and I throw a little fit. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. But when it came down to it and I was faced with reality, when I was faced with the truth, I can either allow myself to be conformed and transformed and be renewed. I can allow myself to, to conform, change, and grow. Or I can try to change God into someone or something that he's not. Every time I'm faced with God, face to face with God on something I disagree about, I can either change or I can try to force God to change. And ultimately what happens when we force God to change is we end up worshiping something that isn't God. We end up worshiping ourselves. 
And so when life picks me up and shakes me to my core, I learn more about God than I could have ever imagined or ever even fathomed before. During the last couple years and during the hardships of the last couple years, I have learned more from those two years than I did the previous eight years of walking with Christ. Because I allowed my perception and my pride to give way to godly wisdom. I allowed my perception to change and I allowed myself to see God for who he is and not necessarily who I want him to be. And I realized that grace doesn't always look like I want it to look like. But ultimately, grace is more than enough. And grace is always more than enough. Because like I said before, and this is where this sermon gets good, because now we're feeling guilty about ourselves. But like I said, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Because what I learned the most after the past two years and what has changed my perception the most about God over the past few years is that, back to that sentence, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I like to word it this way. I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. And at the same time as I am enduring, at the same time as I am going through life, I am growing and I am learning more about God because of his grace. That same grace that we're talking about. Second Corinthians 12, starting about halfway through verse 7, says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. How many of you guys have thorns in your flesh here today? I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Does that not sound like what I was just talking about? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Six years I asked God to take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake... I delight my weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I'm going to read that again. I delight. Delight. It's not usually a word we associate with persecution and difficulties. But he's saying, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So how, how do you do all of these things? How do we endure all of these things? How does that look like? What does that look like? What does Christ's strength look like for us? How do we run the race? How do we fight the fight? How do we keep Christ's commands? How do we do this life? How do we get through this life? How do we get through college? Because of what it comes down to is we are strong in the grace that is Jesus Christ because of what he has done on the cross. And that grace is always sufficient. No matter what we're going through, that grace is sufficient. Because you, individual, as a Christian, are strong in the grace that is Jesus Christ. 
You are strong. Stop lying to yourself and telling you you're too weak. Stop lying to yourself and saying, I can't get through this. Stop lying to yourself and saying, I can't make it. I'm not strong enough because Jesus Christ says that you are strong enough. Jesus Christ has endured the cross to make sure that you are strong enough. And because of that, we are strong. I don't care what you're stuck in. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what mistakes you've made. I don't care the the past you have. It doesn't matter because you are strong in Jesus Christ. And this life, this moment, is the closest to hell that you will ever have to endure because of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. This is the closest you are ever going to be to hell because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We will never have to endure because of Jesus Christ. You are his son. You are his daughter. He delights in you. You are an heir to the kingdom of heaven. You are an heir. Think about that for a second. Really let that, let that sink in. You are an heir to the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for today and we thank you for what you have done on the cross for us. We thank you that you were endured the cross, that you came down and, and became man and that you were tortured and you were punished even though you were blameless. And we thank you that you did it for us. We thank you that in that we have hope, in that we are strong. We thank you that no matter what life throws at us, no matter the hardships that come, we can always remember that we are an heir to the kingdom because of what you have done. And in that, we are strong. And then you take that and you expand further on it. Even though that was already more than enough, even though dying on the cross was more than we even deserved, you still expanded upon that for us. So I don't know how we can say it, but Lord, I just hope that we can make our hearts thankful for what you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a little bit of time where we're going to, I'm going to ask the small group leaders to come up and the staff to come up. The worship song will be after. Um, we're just going to take a moment. And in this moment, in this, in this period of time, I'm just going to ask you to allow yourself to be weak. Not weak in the sense that you are actually weak, but allow yourself to be weak in, in sense to take on Christ. I'm not wording that right, but you get what I'm saying. Allow yourself to let go of your pride. Allow yourself to let go of your hurt. Allow yourself to get past the issues that you're dealing with. Deal with them. And then ask Christ to make you strong. And then don't go back. The season of going back to our weakness is done. 
We're not going to do it anymore. You're not going to walk out of those doors still stuck on the same thing that you've been worrying about all week. You're going to walk out of here without any hindrance. You're going to walk out of here without anything left on your shoulders. You're going to walk out of here and you're not going to be worrying about that test. You're still going to have to study for that test, but you're not going to be worrying about it. You're not going to be worrying about that family member that's sick. You're still going to pray about it, but you're not going to worry about it. You're not going to waste time in frustration and and anger anymore. And I'm going to ask the small group leaders to to be available. And if you need prayer, we're just going to take like four or five minutes. It's not going to be a long, drawn-out process. But if you need prayer, I highly encourage you to find one of the small group leaders, one of the staff, and come up and receive prayer. And then we're going to have a worship song, and then I'll come back up and dismiss you guys. Go ahead. Feel free to spread out. Phil, can I get you to turn the light up for just a second before we start worshiping? <clears throat> What's your name, man? Toby. I feel like I got a word for you, and I just want to give it to you before we go into worship. Um, I feel like God is saying that he has made you into a leader and that even in your quietness, people will still follow you and people will still look up to you. And the more that you seek God and the more that you put your trust into what he says, the more people will look up to you to lead them. And that even though leadership is something that you'd likely want to pass on, he's saying that it's okay to lead and it's okay to fail in that. And that um, as long as you keep your eyes on him, as long as you're seeking after him, he will empower you and he will give you strength in order to lead properly. <clears throat> if you guys don't know, that's, that is a gift of the spirit, um, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Um, and I, this is a place where you are free to express those gifts and to give those words to each other. Um, Worship is a great opportunity to give people words if God gives you a word. But we're going to go straight into a song of worship, and then we'll close. If you guys would stand. Again, Lord, we thank you, and we love you. And I ask that we could walk out of this place, so you could help us to walk out of this place without any burdens, without any stress, without any worry, without any anxiety. Lord, that you could help us to walk out and be strong because of what you have done for us and what you have promised us. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. As you guys leave tonight, just remember, if you're feeling convicted and you feel guilty or you're feeling persecuted or anything, or not persecuted, but prosecuted in here, and you're feeling kind of low, just remember that, like, for real, as you walk out of these doors, you can walk out of here without stress. You can walk out of here in freedom. You can walk out of here without anxiety. As you walk through those doors, we always just kind of picture it is imagine there's a barrier. And as you walk out of that door and as you walk out of this room, your anxiety and your frustrations and whatever you're dealing with, whatever is, is really troubling you. I don't know your testimony. I don't know where you're at in life, but whatever it is, when you walk out of those doors, you don't have to stress about it. You don't have to worry about it. 
If you choose to pick it back up, that's on you. But as you walk out of here, my hope is that my message reaches you and allows you to recognize that we can live our life without that anxiety. We can live our life without that stress. We can live our life without that worry. And it's my hope and my prayer that through that sermon and through um, recognizing where we're at in life, that we can walk through life um, without that burden.